Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hope Through Grief. My name is Steve Smelski. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Marshall Adler. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody's doing very well today. Thank you for joining us. We've got an extra special episode for you today. We've a um, special guest on today. His name is Mr. Steve Grissom. He is the founder and president of Church Initiative, which is the overseeing uh, organization that has grief share, divorce care, divorce care for kids, and single and parenting. And we are uh, very happy to have Steve with us today. Steve, welcome. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Marshall. Great to be with you guys. It's an honor for us to have you. So we thought we would just start out and let you go ahead and share your story and we were talking just before we started, and we know you've got uh, a few things that you'd like to share with us, and we'll just open it up to you. Well, Grief Share is a, an organization that sponsors grief support groups in local churches, and to date, we've equipped over 20,000 churches worldwide. Wow. Wow. And so wow. a weekly Divorce, excuse me, a weekly grief share group. I, I mentioned divorce care because we have a similar program called Divorce. Weekly grief share group meets at local churches and they go through a video which explains why you feel the way you do during the grieving process. Then the group members have the opportunity to talk about what they've seen on the video. And then between weekly sessions, there's a workbook with exercises and, and some short studies that you do to keep the material alive and take you a little bit deeper. So it's really a three-part program. And Grief Share runs for 13 weeks. And many people will go through the program multiple times. They'll go through two or three times because there's a lot of information the videos they view feature some of the world's leading experts on grief and recovery topics from a faith-based Christian perspective. But the group is open to everybody. You can have a faith. You can have no faith. You can have a different faith. It doesn't matter because people find that there's also a lot of practical information. So we have a great mix of people with all different kind of losses, from loss of a spouse to loss of a child to loss of a brother or a friend. And when they come together and share their losses, one of the most interesting things, Stephen Marshall, that we see is there's a light bulb that goes on. Most people think when they're grieving that nobody understands what right. I'm going through. Right. Yeah. I feel really isolated. Right. I feel really alone. And they get in the room with other people and they say, oh, my gosh, there are people who understand what I'm going through. And all of a sudden, it's just this weight off their shoulders because they realize they're in a place where the group members understand, the leaders understand, because the leaders typically have had a very significant loss in their lives. And so it becomes a very healing moment. Now, getting to that first meeting is quite often a challenge. <laughs> yes. Um, most people don't ever envision themselves going to a grief support group. It's just not on your radar. It's not in the context and in the course of everyday life. And then you have a loss and you're feeling alone and isolated, and you may not even think about or want to look for a grief support group. And so it feels really awkward to go the first time. I had a lady tell me once, I worked on her for weeks and weeks and weeks, a friend, it wasn't a stranger. I said, you really need to come to the support group. And she said, I just can't do it. I just, I just can't do it. And she said, finally, after weeks of this, she said, okay, I'm going to come. 
And you're going to be able to tell who I am because I'm going to be the one in the back row with a brown paper bag over my head. (laughs) 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 And of course, once she got into the group, she, she benefited and was glad she came. But I've had other people tell me that I'll roll up to the group's meeting location and I'll sit in the car and there'll be this great tug of war. And maybe I'll get the door open and I'll close it. And maybe I'll get out of the car and go back into the car. And sometimes they get in the car and drive away and come back next week. And other times they make it inside. And so what I want people to understand is it's perfectly natural to feel awkward about coming to this kind of group because it's a very unnatural thing to do to or to think about or to plan. So we like to encourage people to give Grief Share three weeks. Come for three weeks. Just make that commitment, that hard commitment to yourself that you'll give it a three-week trial. And then if it, after three weeks, it doesn't feel right for you, that's okay. Then move on. But of course, many people, most people by that time have made friends, have developed relationships, and are absorbing the material and and really finding the help and, and benefit that we hope that they do find. That's interesting you mentioned that, Steve, because Shelley and I lost Jordan and we started in the middle of a group. I think our first video that we watched was Stuck in Grief. And if it had been just me, I'm not sure I would have walked into that group. But because it was the two of us, we're like, you know what? It's got to be better than what we're going through right now. And we did walk in, but everybody knew everybody else. We were the only two that didn't know anybody. So it can be very confronting coming in in the middle. But once you get in, you realize you're not the only one. Real easy. It's easier to come back the second time, I think. I think so. And it's important to state that It's not a program where you have to come on week one and then go through all 13 weeks like you did. You can come in anywhere in the cycle. Mm -hmm. It's designed to be freestanding. And most groups are ready for that. And when a newcomer comes, they figuratively and literally will put their arms around you. Um, Now, right now, in this season, Many groups are meeting virtually, so we're more on the figurative side of that statement. But groups know what it's like because they came for their first session at one point, so they know what you're feeling, and they're not going to let you feel awkward or isolated. They're, they're going to come along beside you from the first time you come. Yeah, I think we did feel that for sure. It's interesting what you mentioned. I mentioned before that we went, my son Matt died on July 22nd, 2018. And a few weeks after that, we saw grief share on the internet and my wife Debbie contacted Steve and we went there at the beginning when it was starting. But we were maybe two or three weeks after Matt's passing and obviously losing a son is just devastating. And we didn't know what to expect. And when we went there, with we didn't know anybody, all strangers. You know, Steve started out by saying, "How many people here have taken a course on grief?" And we all looked at each other and we said, "You know, why would anybody ever take a course on grief? Is this guy totally insane? Why is he saying this?" And you realize he's saying it because nobody wants to go to a grief support group unless you have to, and we have to because the reality is we lost our son, and. Any awkwardness we have, we just sort of got to put that to the side because we need to learn how to grieve because you can think you think you might know how to grieve. I've lost grandparents and lost my father, but losing a son, that was just and, – and Matt died by suicide. We're very open about that. So we had issues we had to confront. And what you really want to comment on is what you mentioned about learning you're not the only one because, you know, as a parent, your number one job 
is to protect your child. That's what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a father. And when you lose a child, you just can't help but feel for whatever reason it is, what happened was not what I wanted my life to, my life's work to end up where I lost a child. And hearing other people at Grief Share that lost siblings or spouses or aunts or uncles, I realized that the feelings that I had about not being able to protect my child from harm was similar to what other people were having with other relationships. It wasn't unique to me with respect to losing a child, and it wasn't unique to me with respect to losing a child from suicide because somebody would say, oh, my brother went out for a uh, jog and got hit by a car. And why did I tell him to go get some exercise that day when I, sh- when I should have said, stay home and just let's just watch TV. If I said, stay home, watch TV, he wouldn't have gone out, wouldn't have been exercising and he wouldn't have hit by the car. And you're realizing it was a car accident. How could you control that? But when you lose somebody, you obviously think could have, should have, would have, would have made a difference. And I think to me, that was initially going through grief year was the really first lesson I learned that everybody has their own story and their own issues they have to deal with. And hearing that from other people in completely different situations to me was very helpful, very helpful. I think you said that well, Marshall. All grief is unique, but there are common elements And all grief affects you uniquely. In other words, it's going to impact you differently than me or Steve or others listening in our audience. So the perspective you get by hearing other people articulate what they're feeling, you will resonate with many of the points and you'll say, oh, my goodness, I I never thought of it from that perspective. And that just opens up your your world, your mind to understand your grief better. Absolutely, because it's a totally different language. And I think where you mentioned going to the grief share, when you go in there, you feel that everybody there speaks your language now because it's a language of grief, which is a different language than the rest of the world is going to be dealing with. And just having those hours once a week where you don't have to explain to somebody that may not understand the language of grief, I find that very helpful. You don't have to explain different things, how grief comes in waves and comes out of nowhere and triggers things like that. So I think that is a commonality that is very comforting. It was very comforting to me going through the grief share. Yeah, and this great sense of relief to realize you're not weird, you're not going crazy, uh, you're not you're not mm-hmm. the only one who's feeling this. Just takes such a load off of a person. I'm interested in your personal journey because I amazed what you've done because I'll tell you, I did a a prior podcast that ended almost 12 months ago dealing with uh, Matt's death by suicide. And I'll tell you, I got an email from a woman this week. The podcast went almost a year ago. She just listened to it. She lost her daughter by suicide, and it really affected her. And she wrote me this beautiful email, and we're going back and forth. And I was just amazed how something I did a year ago resonated with her, which to me is a small, in comparison to what you've done with Grief Share. I mean, you've helped thousands, tens of thousands of people you don't even know about. I mean, with all the groups and all the videos and now all the virtual meetings, there's people you 
would never meet in your lifetime that you've helped. So I'm really fascinated that you've done this, but I'm interested in how your journey of grief happened to lead you to this. In my personal journey of grief, I've had two very significant windows of loss. In 2007, I lost both parents in a three-month window. Mm. At a very young age, they were in their early 70s, both because of health, sudden health problems. And um, that was a very jolting thing for me. The loss of a parent is maybe a little more natural than other losses. We do anticipate losing our parents. In my case, I had no idea that I would lose them when I did. So that grief was very heavy on me. And then just two years later, within another three-month window, I lost a brother and then my 27-year-old daughter. And and so that really rocked my world. I was still grieving parts of the loss of my parents and to, then to lose two other very close family members. But uh, I, I was leading an organization called Church Initiative, and we kept getting calls from pastors saying, we need a resource to minister to people who are going through grief. We need it, something that could be run by lay people, that we don't have to go find a panel of experts who will come in week after week after week. The logistics of that would be just crazy to try to handle on a local basis. And, uh, well, I, I scratched my head on that one and uh, said, well, I don't, I'm not sure how to help. I am not a pastor. I'm not a counselor. I'm actually, I was trained as a journalist, hmm. uh, spent some time in uh, behind the scenes management of television news operations, and then uh, moved into some other areas of business. So I said, what do I have to contribute? I'm just another guy with a story. But what God did show me was that, well, Steve, you do know how to pull together information and communicate, drawing from your days as a journalist. And so I knew how to create documentary-style videos. I knew how to pull together print materials and workbooks and all of that sort of thing. And so that became the format for both divorce care and for grief share is this 30 to 40 minute video in which we aggregate these leading experts, the world's experts on grief and recovery topics. And we mix those together with the real life stories of people who have been through a grief experience in the case of Grief Share and create what is often called a magazine-style video. So this is not somebody at a podium for 30 minutes lecturing. This is a a very rich, uh, you you might have 30 or 40 faces in one of these videos. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we try to make them engaging, compelling, and relatable. We try to introduce people who have, been through the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, the loss Mm -hmm. of a spouse, all of these kind of losses, so that you will have a connecting point. And then to have these world-class experts explain what's going on, why you feel the way you do, and how to walk your way from what we say, from mourning, from grieving, to hope and joy. And that is a pathway, that is a process, but that is possible. And so that's our design, that's our format, and that's that's how I got here. A very, very unusual path, but I'm, I'm really glad that God chose to use my wife and I, Cheryl, in this way. 
it's an amazing story. I didn't know you had so many multiple losses in a very short period of time. I mentioned before that my son, Matt, died, and then two days later, my mother died. So we had my mother and my son died within 48 hours of each other. So I had to do two funerals, two obituaries, two eulogies. And I will tell you to this day, my mother was 91, my son was 32. Losing my son and my mother within two days, I still have not been able to grieve my mother's passing. Why? Because it's all been grieving my son's passing. And my mother was the best mother in the world. And I'm sure she would say to, Mar- to me, say, Marshall, that's fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> grieve, grieve Matt. But were you able to grieve each of your losses with everything you went through, plus starting this brand new worldwide program? I mean, you you had a lot on your plate with that. Yeah, interestingly, now I, I should clarify that we grief share already existed. Oh, when it did that happen? I had, I had, had I didn't some, know that. I had had some other more typical losses for my age, the loss of grandparents and the loss of Mm -hmm. distant relatives and one close friend. So I had those kind of grief experiences and those were significant, but those weren't the kind of loss that you experience with somebody with a close proximity. I had also separately been through a divorce and grieve the loss of that marriage. And so uh, it, processing that, even with the knowledge that I had through the creation of Grief Share, was nowhere near easy. It was just very painful, very excruciating, and a, a process. It took a while. But I did have the luxury of having the tools that we introduced in Grief Share already in my toolkit. I can't say that that took away much, if any, of the pain. I can say that that gave me an understanding of the process I needed to go through. That's a great clarification on that because I I don't think the pain ever completely goes away. We'll be on this journey probably the rest of our life. The thing that I'm fascinated about with the videos is you pack so much into 40, 42 minutes. I've watched them 13 times now, and I still pick up something new that I never saw before. The uh, sad thing to us is what we have to leave on the editing room floor. (laughs) (laughs) So, So much good material, so much good material, but... Yeah, the the richness of the wisdom that comes from these people who who contribute to the videos is just remarkable. They've spent a career ministering to people who are hurting, who are grieving, and to be able to share that with group members is something that is kind of a unique format. As I mentioned earlier, it'd be very hard to duplicate this on a local basis. And that's why it's on video, uh, is to be able to capture these people once and then share them multiple times across locations, across states, across countries, is a really exciting way to be able to share this kind of world-class help. You've actually done something different that you hadn't done before since we've gone into the COVID lockdowns and social distancing. You've made your videos available for the first time online during the 13-week process. And I think that's awesome for the new people that start and they've missed a few or they miss a couple during the way. They can go back and watch them. So if you've got a lot of material that got lost on the cutting room floor, have you thought about maybe putting some together as additional videos during this online process that people could view some of that great material. Well, my staff will probably fuss at me for sharing this, but we're doing exactly that. We're we're creating 
a, a uh, my divorce care, my divorce care plus my grief share, my grief share plus experience, uh, so awesome. that group members will have access to the more extended content. So if you have a particular interest in child loss, for instance, loss of a child, we have some great experts dealing with that or loss of a spouse. So, but, you know, we have been talking maybe for four or five years about how do you do an online group? Uh, We knew that there were some desirable elements of doing that, Steve, but we always believed that in-person groups were preferable. But then along comes mid-March, along comes COVID, and virtually every one of our groups had to shut down and could not meet in person. So we had to distill our thinking very quickly. And uh, within, I'm really proud of the staff, within a two-week period, we had thousands of groups up and running online. And so the ministry was able to continue, even though the groups were not able to meet in person. And many groups, of course, still are meeting online because of in-person restrictions and also because not everybody is comfortable with going back to a live in-person environment, even if that is allowed by local or state regulations. That's very true. For us, it's going to be a problem because one of the people joining is from Canada, so can't come in the country right now. So we would lose that person if we tried to meet in person. That's another thing that's happened is where a group was limited geographically by the drive time no longer. We have people joining from several states away. Of course, their stories are similar, and there's a lot of commonality there. But uh, in fact, it adds a, a really interesting dimension to a group to have somebody in Iowa joining a group in Florida. I mean, the possibilities right. are endless, and, and that's happening internationally as well. Yes. That's kind of a unique uh, opportunity for a lot of us. So Shelley and I were actually excited about embracing people from outside our geographic area. So So, uh, what started as a all-hands-on-deck fire drill has turned into something that will become a permanent feature of Grief Share. And, of course, there are now live groups meeting, and there are – still groups meeting online, and there are hybrid groups, which meet in person, but are bringing in members online as well. So we've got some very creative leaders who are are doing those things. How did you find your experts? Because I, I found the videos very informative, very helpful, and it was a part of life that obviously I never addressed because I didn't have to, because I didn't need to, because I wasn't in grief. And then losing my son, Matt, obviously changed everything. And I was many times sitting there saying, you know, I'm a lawyer and there's different cases I have. I'll have to get an a expert in a certain area. I've done it for 40 years and there's different places you can go to get experts. And I'm thinking, where do you go for experts on grief? I mean, I, I don't think they're in the yellow pages. And I was just wondering, how did you do this? Because I saw the back end and you had so many people and so many videos. And I'm going, this is an incredible achievement. Logistically, how did you do that? Well, most of these people are published on the topic. And so if they have written on the topic and we go through, we read every word of the books that they've written or the book that they've written. And if it aligns with our teaching and and with biblical truths, then we know we have a match. And that serves then as a source of inspiration for the questions we ask them as well. So quite often, uh, in fact, almost universally, they are published 
And that's that's how they come on our radar. And we're constantly scanning, looking for new people. The current version of Grief Share is the third edition. So we update mm-hmm. it on a regular schedule and are always looking for new experts and people who have published new projects and or have emerged on the scene since our last edition. That's awesome. How, how do you think the pandemic is going to change grief? Because Steve and I have talked about this a lot. You know, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm Jewish. And when somebody loses a loved one, it's called sitting shiva. People come over and give you great emotional, physical, spiritual, and practical help. They just take care of everything because obviously you're in such grief. And now that's the antithesis of what you can do during the pandemic. So people that are losing loved ones, where you need support and love and hugs and people around you can't do it now. And it's been nine months already and who knows where the future is going to be. So I'm really interested in your insight on that because this takes the whole dynamic of grief and puts it into a different category that none of us have ever dealt with. The only time it's probably happened was the last pandemic, 1918 flu then, which, you know, it was a century ago, none of us were around then. So people on this earth haven't experienced that. So I'm really interested in your insight as to how the pandemic has changed grief. The effects are staggering, simply staggering when you start to take it apart. Let's start with the deaths that have occurred because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're over 200,000 now. Mm-hmm. And let's say that around the person who died, there, there's a family system. And let's just take the number 10. 10 people who were deeply, deeply impacted by the death of that person. We know the number is larger than that, but we'll talk about the deepest, most soul-level grief is this group of 10 grievers around the person who just died because of COVID or COVID complications. And so you multiply 200,000 times 10, and we have two million Mm. grievers that we didn't have this time last year. Mm -hmm. And that number is going up daily, hourly, and we don't know where it's going to stop. So it's impacting the number of people who are grieving. Another thing that's happening is the pandemic is amplifying grief. And here's what I mean by that. Grief is profound in and of itself. But if it happens on the top of the anxiety and the stress and the uncertainty that's as significant as what's coming with the pandemic, then it complicates grief incredibly because you're already this big mix of emotions dealing with the pandemic dealing with racial tension right now, dealing with the political environment. And then you add grief on top of that. That just complicates grief so significantly that it's a real challenge for grief share groups or anybody grieving. And then, Marshall, as you mentioned, the ability to say goodbye is Mm -hmm. changed. So profoundly, because if you can go to a service, it's probably very small and very limited. And a lot of people are left out of a service. Maybe you can't even go to a service, depending on the locality and depending on the circumstances. Maybe you can't travel to a service, even if you were able to attend, maybe you're in a high risk category and, and your doctor said, no, you should not be on an airplane in a hotel room traveling any distance. You're, the, the exposure is too great. So how do you deal with grief on a foundation like that? 
And so that's the environment we're dealing with as it relates to grief right now. And it makes it so much more challenging. And that's why a support group is even more significant and more strategic Mm -hmm. in your life, in your planning as it relates to how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to get through this? Well, we can't all get together and hug and love each other as a family. So you've got to have another support system. You've got to have another network. And that's where a support group can help fill in the gap. Steve, you were talking about the numbers. I think we agree if we took a sphere of 10 people that are affected by any one of those losses, that that number is easy to come up with. What I noticed when it started in New York was people couldn't even go to the hospital for other illnesses. I'm not even sure we have a number on how many died because they didn't go to the hospital for other ailments, uh, heart disease, diabetes. I mean, I'm not even sure what the real number is. There's no way to know, Steve. And evidently, obviously, it's larger than the two million that I mentioned. But I just I wanted to try to come up with some way to illustrate the scope of the change. It really is a paradigm shift. It is a a monumental addition to the number of grievers in our culture, not just in our country, in the world culture, because this pandemic is is global. And the effects are going to last for a long time. Uh, Mental health experts are very worried about our mental health, even if we're not grieving. And if you add grief on top of the mental health issues that are emerging, it's a scary mix of emotions and feelings and sense of loss, fear anxiety, the list just keeps on going of the trigger points there. It's interesting you mentioned that. I saw an article this week about this man that lost his brother. And he said his brother died from COVID, but never contracted the virus. And what he was talking about is his brother died from a drug overdose. And he said that the Stress, isolation, loneliness, just compounded whatever issues he had from the COVID, even though he didn't have the COVID virus. And he's convinced, but for the pandemic, his brother would, would could still be alive. And from a grief standpoint, the family saying he did die from COVID because of the pandemic probably didn't count in the statistics because he didn't contract the virus. But from a grief standpoint, they're, they're going through that. And I, I saw a study yesterday that just, my jaw dropped. They had a study where they said, I think it was children 11 to 17 during the pandemic, 50%, 5-0, it thought about suicide. And I'm going, are you kidding me? These young children, that's one out of two. You know, you, you go out during the day, you're seeing three or four kids. If you see four kids, two of them are thinking of suicide because of the pandemic. And you talk about unforeseen circumstances that society's going to have to be dealing with. That can be generational because these are young people. You know, I, I don't want to say here, but we're all... The three of us here, I think, I'll just be generous. We're on the back nine of the, the golf course of life, okay? We're, we're, we can think we're young, but we're, we're not in the front nine. We're in the back nine, which is fine. But these young people, they're just starting out. And it it just took me aback. And so from the effect of grief on a global standpoint, I don't even know if you know what the future is going to hold with that. I don't think anybody knows, and I think we're seeing people who are trying to numb their anxiety, their pain. Some of that, obviously, is very destructive behavior. 
which can lead to death or or lead to a lifestyle that ultimately takes you to death, can take you to suicide, mm-hmm. all of these sorts of things. And you're right, we won't know for years or decades what the real cost, what the real totals are. We just know, we know enough to know that right now, with what we know, it's profound. And we're going into a season where they they are saying that it's likely it's going to become much more profound. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have six anybody. young grandchildren, and, you know, they're great kids, but I can see this getting into their psyche. Mm. You know what? What does this mean? How? What? What, what is their worldview in a post-COVID world? And when in the world will we have a post-COVID world? I don't think anybody's saying it'll end before July of next year. So that's what another nine months of it, at least. Yeah, and and you know there are experts that will extend it on out from that, and right. there are some who are saying that it will be like the flu; it will be with us for a long time and our hope is that the, the treatments uh, are such that it could be mitigated in in ways like the flu is but i don't know i'm not an expert i see the media reports i see the reality of today what has already happened this huge huge body of of grievers that is out there who have been left behind in a very unnatural way nobody Nobody would have expected this. Uh, my mother-in-law is in a memory care unit in a nursing home. We had not seen her since mid-March until about two weeks ago. Mm. And that story's repeated wow. over and over again. How can we respect our seniors when we can't see them, when we can't touch them, when we can't hold them? when we can't walk with them at the end of their life. That is very true. My parents are they're getting up there. They probably wouldn't like me to share their ages, but they're in New York and Shelly and I wanted to take a road trip up and we can't go into New York. We have to quarantine for 14 days before we can even go see them. And when you're working, that's an improbability. Are you seeing this on a global basis? Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, some countries are doing a little bit better managing COVID stats than us, but it literally is everywhere. And yes, globally, people are the same. We may have different cultural traditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We may express our grief differently, but we all feel loss at a very deep soul level when we lose someone close to us. Wow. It's interesting. Steve and I talked in early January about doing this podcast. Steve was good enough to be a guest on the podcast I did last year about Matt, and he was a great guest. And he approached me in early January. We went out to lunch about doing a podcast about grief. We were just sort of talking, and during that time, the great basketball player Kobe Bryant died. Kobe died in the helicopter crash, and I was a big Kobe fan, phenomenal player. And I was talking to Steve how something like that affected people because I'd, I'd hear people on TV or talking saying, I've never seen this before, a young man dying in the prime of his life. And I told Steve, and I say, we've seen it before. Steve lost his son, Jordan. I lost my son, Matt, and we know this happens every single day, every minute of the day, somewhere in the world. And I was telling Steve then, before the pandemic hit, I said, maybe this would be Kobe's greatest gift to have the world look at grief differently instead of it's somebody else's problem. It's something I don't want to deal with. 
you know, I've said before, like sometimes people are afraid it's contagious, which obviously it's not contagious. But I can't, I said it is contagious because we're all going to get there. And then when the pandemic hit, I really expanded on that. And, and I was talking to Steve about it saying, now the whole world is going to be dealing with what we've been dealing with because you've got a worldwide pandemic. I, I know a few people that have died already from the COVID-19 virus and some are young people. And it's just a situation where hopefully the world will learn to deal with grief in a better way in the sense that um, I know when Matt died, you know, I'm a lawyer and I go out to a lot of social things. If I was a social function, I was almost seen as like the suicide guy. That if somebody had a question about suicide, oh, yeah, go ask Marshall. His son died by suicide. He'll know all about it. He's a smart guy, which I was glad to help people with that. But there was no magic bullet. I didn't have the secret sauce saying, oh, if you do this, this, and this, because I know people were concerned about their loved ones or whatever. And I would tell them, you know, if I could have prevented this, I would have. I didn't because I can't. And I think with grief, with the pandemic now, you just realize, hopefully, that people that you love, that you lose, it's how they lived, not how they died, that counts. And the world now, I think, you see all these tributes on the news about people who lost loved ones. They don't talk about the horrible death they had from coronavirus. They say, you know, they did these wonderful things. They were wonderful people. They were wonderful family members. And so I'm looking at this saying, hopefully the world will look at grief differently. And I mean this in a positive way where it is contagious, I guess, because we're all going to be subject to grief, but don't be afraid of it. You're going to be living on this planet. You're going to be dealing with grief. Well said. And I think the important thing, Marshall, is that you not skip the step of grief in looking at the accomplishments of the person's life and celebrating the person's life. That's, that's part of looking back, looking at the totality of the situation. But you've got to start by saying, this hurts deeply. (laughs) This hurts in my soul. And I can't deal with it myself. I've got to get help. If you try to only look on the positive side, what a fine person this was, what a wonderful wife this was, not to diminish those things in Mm -hmm. any way, but that becomes your grieving, then it's very superficial and you'll never deal with the pain in your soul. So uh, you've got to start by acknowledging I'm hurting. I'm hurting deeply. I'm hurting beyond my ability to deal with. I need help. That's a great point because I remember how much it scared me when I realized I couldn't deal with this on my own. We we tried counseling. We went through 15 weeks of counseling together, Shelly and I, and we both that that night home we said we're not getting better. We need help or we're not going to make it. I remember feeling, and that's a horrible feeling to be at when you admit to yourself, I need help. I I can't make it without. But it's also a breakthrough, Steve. It it is the point. It is that pivot point at which the healing can begin. If I have a serious illness, if, if I can't, make the decision to go to the doctor, then I may die of that illness. I can't push grief down and not let it out. It's interesting, and I've said this story before, my parents lost two children, and my mother, after they were both 
very young, and I didn't know either one of them, but my mother, my father grieved them their entire life, and my mother asked my grandfather, my father's father, so her father-in-law, why did this happen where they lost two children? And my grandfather told her something that still resonates with me, and I really understand it much better after Matt passed. And what he said, it sounded sort of harsh, but it really helped my mother, it's helped me. And what he said was, losing two children is a tragedy. There's no two ways about it. It's your tragedy. But if it happened to the next door neighbor, it wasn't your tragedy, it'd be no less a tragedy, it just wouldn't be yours. You wouldn't have the same feeling, same hurt. And now that you're going through this, it's a lesson for all of us to realize you see somebody down the street, you don't know if it's their tragedy, if it's happened to them, and just try to have some kindness and understanding that unfortunately you have now that you didn't have before. And his whole point was try to be the best person you can as a tribute to your lost loved ones. And Lord knows everything you've done through Grief Share is absolutely a tribute to your lost loved ones. And I think Stephen Shelley's done the same thing. And myself, my wife, my son are trying to do that with Matt because Matt was just an, an incredible human being. And the way I look at it is he's not here now and I got to pick up the mantle that he can't do any, that he can't care anymore. And I got to do the work here for as long as I'm here. And I think what you've done is amazing, affecting so many people. And it just sort of goes back to my, I think back to what my, my grandfather told my mother over 60 years ago. And it's just amazing how these things just sort of popped up. And hearing you talk like that, it just popped up that thought about my grandfather telling my mother that. And I, I remember that story and I really didn't understand it until Matt's passing. Well, and and you have been used powerfully with this podcast and the other things you are doing to help people. You have taken that pain and channeled it into a very constructive path as well, Marshall. And uh, you should be encouraged by that. Well, you're a great role model. I'll tell you that because you've, but, but it's ironic, but for you, we wouldn't be doing this, but for you, Steve would have done grief share. I wouldn't have met Steve, you know, again, unintended consequences sometimes are really, really good. Sometimes really, really bad. This is really, really good. How many people you've affected you don't even know about. And I think at the end of the day, that's the greatest gift that our lost loved ones can, can give to, to us and to humanity because it does feel good and you're honoring them and you're doing a tribute to them because you know they'd want to do that if they were here. I just smile when I hear you say that because you're articulating scripture. You're, you're articulating that well-known scripture, all things, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And so, uh, we can see how God can take our pain and turn it into something that can be good. Doesn't mean the loss, the grief, the suicide was good, but how he can use the aftermath of that is truly remarkable. That's interesting. You know, there, we're coming up on a season, I, I, I think it would be important to prepare people for. Thanksgiving isn't that far away, and right mm -hmm. behind it is Christmas. And there's a phenomenon that's almost universal in grief called ambushed by grief. Mm -hmm. And it's these trigger points. It's if you've been married for 50 years and you had a favorite little diner and you went out for Saturday brunch every Saturday, and you happen to drive by that diner. Well, it might be five years, it might be 10 years later, but that scene, that event, that moment can trigger a deep wave of grief. 
Now, there are a lot of triggers like that are, that are going to be concentrated Thanksgiving through Christmas. Because every family has these traditions. They have these things that they do that are unique to their family related to Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of the holidays that are woven into that season. And so I just want everybody listening to be aware that those events are probably going to trigger waves of grief in you. And you may not see it coming. The smell of a fresh Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. uh, the carving of a turkey. Maybe it was your husband who carved the turkey every year. He's gone, and now it's your son-in-law who's doing it. What a great loss that is to some people. And not, not the fact that the, curve, the turkey is being carved by somebody else, but the symbolism behind that. Mm -hmm. right. My husband is gone. My friend is gone. My wife is gone. My relative is gone. My son or daughter is gone. And so we actually have a separate program called Surviving the Holidays, mm -hmm. which people are encouraged to attend. It's unlike our grief share program. It's a standalone event. It's a single session. And uh, everybody can come whether or not you participate in group share or not. And you can learn about what to anticipate with holiday grief, how to deal with it, how to survive with it, and how to even look at the holidays with a little bit of hope. Mm. So uh, keep an eye out for that, uh, that program as well as grief share. We certainly will. We look for it every year. So, Steve, we wanted to thank you for coming on today and sharing everything with us. You have no idea how many people you have inspired and how much they have used that to help others. And for that, we would like to say thank you. Absolutely. You've affected our lives. And again, I think it's a testament to you and your lost loved ones that you've taken the pain of loss and made it such a positive force in the world. And, you know, I'll say this, you know, I've talked many times that on the anniversary of Matt's passing, we went to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and I put prayer notes for my mother, my father, my son, and my best friend, Ted from Buffalo that passed a few weeks after my mother and Ted passed. And just standing there where you know for thousands of years, people have been standing on the same site dealing with grief. It's called the Wailing Wall for a reason because it's, people go there to grieve. And I just realized we're all here for such a short period of time, whether it's my mother that lives in 91, my father lives in 93, or Matt that lived at 32. And it's what you do with that time is what counts. Some people could live a hundred years and not do what Matt did in 32 or what Jordan did in 11 or what your daughter did in 27. And I think that's what we have to be thankful for and then take that as our gift that they gave to us that we got to give to others. And, and you've absolutely done that. And I can't thank you enough for doing it. Would it be all right if I invited everybody listening to attend a group? Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love to have you if you are grieving. And by the way, the grief may be very old. We've had people with an event 20 years ago, a loss 20 years ago or 30 years ago. They've just never worked through and they felt it hanging over their audience of the, their life. Or it could be very recent. And it's really easy to find a group, griefshare.org, griefshare.org. And right there on the front page, you can enter your zip code or your postal code or your city and state and search for groups near you. 
And then you can make a decision, well, do I want to attend a physical group? Do I want to attend a virtual group and join online? Either is a possibility, but we would really like to invite and uh, have anybody who feels they would be helped by a group to join us. Wonderful. I highly recommend it. I absolutely recommend it. We had Shelly on before we started recording, and she said, Grief Share is the reason we're still here. And for that, we'd like to say thank you. Well, the two of you are a great inspiration. Obviously, you have taken your grief, and now you are helping others, and, and I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you for all you've done. Yes, thank you. And we'd like to thank all of our listeners for uh, listening in on today's session of Hope Through Grief. If you'd like to check out GriefShare, Steve had mentioned the website. It's griefshare.org, and you can find a location near you. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Everybody have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Hope Through Grief with your co-hosts, Marshall Adler and Steve Smelsky. We hope our episode today was helpful and informative. Since we are not medical or mental health professionals, we cannot and will not provide any medical, psychological, or mental health advice. Therefore, if you or anyone you know requires medical or mental health treatment, please contact a medical or mental health professional immediately.